I've simply titled my sermon today, A Special Promise. We know we're in the Advent season, and we see that in our communities. Lights are up, people are getting ready for Christmas, and so on. There's this routine, this sameness from year to year that people grow to cherish, to expect, to anticipate, to enjoy, and then to celebrate. Well, the... um, actual celebration this year. It's being debated and discussed a lot. I won't go into that, but you know what I'm talking about. But this year will be different. We do know that. This year will be different. We don't know how different it will be, but it's going to be different. Well, the lights are up, and I think shopping is going on. I haven't really done any serious shopping. Don't plan to. Um, but the mood is, is kind of changed. And we know from the way people are going about life, the way our our communities are doing, are, are, are living. There is change. Change is happening. Um, for instance, a lot of people tomorrow, they won't be going to work. Restaurant people won't be going to work. Oh, they might because of takeout, but it's reduced. Uh, non-essentials. I mean, there's change happening in so many ways. What do we do when life becomes different or when life changes around us? Change has always been. We don't like when it is, but it's always been. Um, We read of stories of hard times in the past when there were struggles going on, upheaval, whatnot. Oftentimes, very difficult times. Um, We can talk about wartime. We can talk about famine. uh, We can talk about other pandemics or disease and and pestilence and so on. People just live through that. I mean, some die, but that's just life on earth. In our story today, we have a passage where change happened. And it was an interesting change. But it's kind of the form of a promise fulfilled, a special promise that happened. This was a promise that brought change, a change that would, that would, would impact history forever, a change that was anticipated, celebrated even before it happened. And when it came, it was celebrated in the midst of great risk and trial and agony and pain and so on. And before I read today's passage, that's out of uh, Luke. Before I read today's passage, I want to mention a few things. The story that, that we're going to read, or it's not a story; it's, a, it's, it's just the song that Mary sang um, when she was uh, spending time with Elizabeth, her cousin, when she had been told she would have the baby Jesus. It's a story of um, of joy and gladness and, and excitement. But sometimes a story becomes special. Not because the story itself is so special, but because of the environment in which the story happens. That's what makes it special. The story is not special because of the story. It's a special story. It's a great story. But then you see this around, what's going on around it, and that makes it just glorious. Then it's really special. That's what this story is about. You see, and, and I want to just mention a few things before we go into the story. We have a starting point, you and I. We all have a birthday. I was born on this and this date, and I won't tell you how old I am, but I was born on a certain day. You're born on a certain day. That's your starting point. You didn't exist before. We measure time in a linear way from start to finish. God is not like that. And the story that we want to briefly go into a little bit later on, it's an eternal story. It's not a story with a starting point and a finishing point in the, in the sense that it's based on people. It's God. It's, it's not people. God is from eternity 
to eternity. Now, we, in our human mind, scientifically speaking, we can't comprehend that. It makes maybe no sense in a way because there has to be a beginning. In fact, the Bible says in Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning God created, but there, where did, he has no beginning. God is eternal from eternity to eternity. He's outside of time. We're inside time. Time is a, is a, death, is a, is a finite thing and he's outside of it. And so the story happens in time, but it's an eternal story. And the other thing about the story is it's a great story. The, the salvation story, the birth story, it's a great story. But the setting in which it happened was awful. It was terrible. I mean, what did the king try to do? I mean, we wouldn't talk about that a little bit later on yet, too. It was a time when there was government oppression. There was a time when things were uncertain. Well, the Romans had control, that was certain. But the political climate was not good. The economic climate for the people of, the, of Israel was not good. It was, it was so much difficulty and they were so brutally um, kept in line. I shouldn't say brutally, but cruelly. The, the Romans were in some ways tolerant of the Jews, but also could be very cruel. It was like the heel of the Roman boot. And they had to do exactly as the Romans said and, and they could not have their own laws and their own policies and the Romans dictated everything and they could worship God together in the temple. They could do that. But even that was controlled and confined in certain ways and under strict observation. The Romans were in control and, and so on. So that's the story a little bit in which the angel Gabriel one day comes to uh, this young woman named Mary and says, um, uh, you are favored, you're going to have a baby. And she's puzzled, she's confused. And how's this going to be? I'm, not, I'm engaged to be married, but hey, we, we're not married. I don't have a man. I'm, how, how am I going to get pregnant? And, and the angel tells her and she accepts it. She's chosen and... And um, Joseph is left out of the picture initially. He doesn't even get asked if it's okay. Um, I always tell premarital couples, you have to do everything together. So Mary could have said, okay, by the way, let me see if Joseph is fine with this. She doesn't tell him or doesn't ask him. And then Joseph does find out or he does become aware and he doesn't like it. He wants to spare her the shame, the public shame of, of being exposed for being pregnant outside of wedlock. But um, he wants to divorce her. That's how engagements were, were broken up with divorce and and the angel tells him, don't do it. She's okay. She's fine. He's a righteous man. So he, he accepts it and so on. What I want to get, us today, get at today is that what did Mary do in this circumstance? What did she do and, and how does it come out? Even though Mary could have perhaps really worried and just, just, uh, just really worried and be anxious about what's going to happen to me now and why am I being picked for this and life would be so much easier if I could just go about my life like the rest of the girls in my community and I, 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 I don't really want this and... But she looks at it from a positive side. And I think that's important for us and myself, for all of us. The political climate, it was not very safe. It was not healthy. Uh, there was the zealots. There was all kinds of, of problems going on. But Mary never lost her focus. So I want us to, this morning, look into what did Mary say? How did she respond to her lot in life? When the angel had told her what was going to happen, she goes visits Elizabeth, her cousin in Judea, from Nazareth down south to Judea. Let's read Luke one forty six. Luke one forty six is a powerful verse. We'll go through this. And so Mary and Elizabeth are together, and Mary has this praise in her heart, and she just is, is happy, and she says, "My soul." Mary said, "My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior." Let's stop there. This is a relational response from Mary to her God in terms of what she was going through. God was her focus. 
When Mary was saying this, she was doing exactly what God was expecting from her, and she was doing what she was created to do. She was worshiping. This young woman, most likely in her teenage years, we don't know, but she was a young woman, a virgin. She had her focus right. You see, we are created for worship. That's our job. Maybe it sounds simple, but there's a lot of things we're not created for, which I, I struggle with. I struggle with worry at times, with frustration. And, then I, and you heard me say it before, like in my little speech that I gave. That's not what we're created for. Jesus repeatedly told his disciples not to fear, not to worry about what was going on. Do you think Mary had reason to worry? Plenty. I mean, you're engaged to be married. You're going to have a baby in all of this? That happens after marriage, not before. And what about Joseph? She didn't go say, hey, Joe, would it be okay if I have a baby before we tie the knot? She could have worried about, what will the neighbors say? Maybe her girlfriends in the neighborhood. Oh, Mary, what happened to you? What's going on? Whatever. And so it could have been the gossip mill. She surrendered to the angel's call and just took it in whatever it would be that would come. She could have, she, she did say, well, how will this be? She's confused. I, I don't know a man. I don't know. And the angel explains it to her. She accepts it without knowing the, the, the intricate details of it. She just accepts it. Oftentimes in life, we're far better off to roll with it than to fight it. I'm not saying we should always just, just passively accept stuff. No. But there are certain things in life that we cannot interfere with, we cannot change, we cannot influence, and so we have to go with it. This was not a negative thing, this was a positive thing, but there was so much negativity around her that, you know, actually that's going to be too hard. I don't want to do this. And the purpose of what was going to happen was a good purpose. It was to this goodness that she was called to. In fact, it's a story of the ages. She focused on God and she says, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God. We say, that's your starting point. That's the foundation. From there, everything else grows out. Let's read verse 48 and 49. He says, for, and here's why. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. She saw her position. She saw her place, a humble servant. And she says, God has looked on the estate of his servant. The humble estate of his servant. She also realized the importance of this. She said, all nations will call me blessed. She was right. It was not a proud statement on her part. She was stating a fact. And the reason why? Because God has done great things for me. Holy is his name. There's the worship part again. Sounds good, doesn't it? Sounds great. And yet we don't know what may have all gone through her mind when this happened. And who who else she told? We know she told Elizabeth. But who all did she tell? We don't know. We don't know what, what may have been in her mind. Maybe she did think about what will the cost be? How will I explain this to Joseph? What will my friends say? What will mom and dad say? But as she looks into history and outward to the distant future, her mind is just broad and her view is broad. And she says in verse 50, And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. She, she uh, grows eloquent. 
in her talk. And she has the right view. She has the right understanding. Her heart's right with God, and she just surrenders to God. And, and she praises him. Let's keep reading verse 51. And, and here's a, a number of uh, he has phrases, and I, I just want to pick them out later. Let's read this. He has, meaning God has, shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones, exalted those of the humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. She saw her place in God's plan, a humble servant, fearing God, being chosen by God for God's purpose, but she saw a whole lot more. She was encompassing the whole spectrum, and she looks at it from the point of it having happened already. And what makes it so special is the environment or the context in which she says it. Let's look at the next slide, the bullet points. I put it up here. He has looked on the humility of his servant. He has shown strength. He has scattered the proud. He has brought down the mighty. He's exalted the humble. He's filled the hungry. He sent the rich away empty. God has helped Israel. And the Israel of today that we talk about is the bride, his church. Then we can honestly ask, what do we have to fear? This is the story of God's people. We could end the sermon here and have a wonderful story and all go home and have lunch, right? Wouldn't that be nice? It's not quite like that. There is more here. And again, I'll go back to what I said earlier. The Bible does not tell us the risks she faced. And the point here in this story is not to focus on the risk, but let's name them anyway. We sometimes think if we could have, oh, if we could have lived in Bethlehem and been there when the baby was born, that would be nice, you know. That would be cool. Go visit him in the manger, maybe. Or um, when he went, moved to Nazareth later on as a boy grew up, that would have been cool, right? I mean, that would have been great. That would have been cool. Or maybe go with him to the temple when he was 12 years old and, and listen to him talk to the Pharisees. That would have been really cool, right? wouldn't it? No, it wouldn't have been. It was difficult. In a few weeks, we'll be reading the story of Jesus' birth and, and all the wonder that uh, accompanied it. But there's so much more to the story. Well, let's think about for a second about Bethlehem. One little town didn't even have a motel empty when Jesus was born. Poor place. You want to go for a weekend away, don't go to Bethlehem, basically. In that day and age. Nothing there, really, except Joseph had to go there because it was time to get registered with the government, and so it was a government issue. That's why he was there. God had other plans, but that was his reason. Simple community. Or... Right after he's born, not right after, a few years after he's born, Herod finds out through the wise men, hey, there's this new king. i got to get rid of him. Now, Mary and Joseph went to the temple when Jesus was eight days old and presented him, and Simeon did say, you appear as, uh, the arrow will pierce your heart. So he, she had been told some things, but I don't think it really registered. Maybe it did, we don't know. But Herod, just a few miles away in Jerusalem, he was a killer. He was, he was a brutal. He was, a, he was an evil man. You can read the history. It's horrible. And then the flight to Egypt, that place, that, that Egypt place, not a good place to be. That's where they had to flee to, from Bethlehem to Egypt. Then they come back from Egypt and they go to Nazareth. Who wants to live in Nazareth? 
In fact, what good can come out of Nazareth? That's what the, the, the saying was. And then Jesus entered ministry at age maybe around 30 or so. That's what the, what the writers say. And for three short years, he had a ministry and public opinion turned against him. We know it was God's plan, but on a social scale, public opinion turned against him. And guess what? They were out after him. And they arrested him. They tortured him. And then they condemned him to death. And at age 33, he was crucified as a criminal by the rulers of his day. Now, did all of that negate what Mary just said here? No. That story is still just as special. When Mary was given the promise she would have the baby who would be the Messiah of the world, the details were not spelled out. And it would be tempting to say to God, okay, Lord, okay, Lord, Lord okay, I'm, I'm okay with it if you can give me the rundown. What's the itinerary look like? What's the journey? If Mary said, okay, Lord, but the angel, okay, but that, hey, before I say yes to this call, I want the itinerary. What's going to be on the journey? And most people would check out. Nope, oh, I'm not in. Have it. Give it somebody else. I don't want it. But it's a blessing that we don't know the itinerary. We don't want to know the journey. Because if we did, we might not do so well. And I think for myself, I can't place myself in Mary's shoes because I, I, she's a mother. I'm not a mother, but I'm a father. But I think about this. At age probably 50-ish, give and take, depending how old she was when Jesus was born. From the time the announcement came, 33, 34 years later, she was standing at the cross watching her son die. What can be more painful than that? What could have prepared her for this? Nothing. The same is true for us. We're not in control of the story. And life is like a story. The history of the world is like a story. Every page is a, is a, is a page that God writes and God paints and God colors it in with the experiences and the circumstances he allows us to face. That was Mary's story. We live in it. We also have a story. God is writing it. We're invited to be part of it. For Mary, she embraced the joy, the promise that God gave, and endured what came with it. God had promised this in the Old Testament years ago, years before. God said this would happen. For Mary, it was joy and celebration and pain and agony together. It was a special promise. But then as today, it carried pain in it as well. It comes as part of the package. There was joy, there was grace, there was pain, and there was suffering. So I want to encourage us this holiday season. Let's remember that it's all part of God's divine plan. The disciples of Jesus, they understood this after Pentecost. Their calling in life was not to be popular, but to be faithful. Not to be liked, but to be obedient. So let me just say to us all, allow the love of Jesus to flow. It won't be easy, but it's going to be good. And then let's read the story of Mary. Let's read her story, how she accepted the call, how she celebrated and how she anticipated and how she went through it up to the point when Jesus died. 
It's part of the same book, just different pages. You and I today too, we're part of this book, just different pages. The same writer, different time, same direction, one's farther along than the other. God's story to Mary is for us today too. And our story is for the future generations as well. And so we may wonder, what will the generations that come say of me, say of you? God had done everything he said he would for Mary. God's promise for us today is just the same as it was for the people of old. As we get near to the celebration of the birth of Jesus this holiday season, let's remember the promises of God's blessings. Let us pray. Lord, we pause before you to think about what you did for us, that you even decided to use us as your servants, as characters in the story. This promise was special then. It's pro- the promise is special today, and we are part of it if we accept it. Lord, I just pray that we as your children would look to you in the times of difficult challenges and frustrations that come our way, not to lose sight, not to lose focus. But as Mary did, praise you and worship, worship you and remember and talk about what you've done. In Jesus' name, amen.